Awesome. I'm, uh, I'm thankful, privileged to get to share with you guys this morning. Pastor Mike's already mentioned it. We just came out of a time of uh, prayer and fasting. We try to dedicate the first Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of each month. Um, we, we have this kind of regular rhythm of, of fasting. We believe it's important and it does so much for us, but it also shifts the heavenlies. We know that um, the, the, the world is not just what we can see. There is a whole world of unseen and, and it's just as real, even though we cannot see it. So we believe that prayer and fasting shifts those areas. And, and so we, we do that. And, and this month as we were in those days and putting our, our time and in our calendars, just a little extra prayer and, and preparation, uh, I kept seeing these phrases come out. And so I want to I jump in and, and talk about some of these, and then we'll just sort of follow where the Spirit leads. And, and I'm, my hope is to leave you with a whole bunch of great nuggets this morning. So the, the first one is John 2, verse 4. These are all, all going to come out of John, and they're going to be, um, a lot of them, uh, either Jesus talking or people talking about Jesus or a situation that Jesus is in. So that's just to give you some background and some context. And we'll blast through these, and, and you'll see pretty clearly like the, a reoccurring theme. John 2, verse 4 says, Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. John 7, verse 6 through 8, Jesus replied, Now is not the right time, again timing, for me to go, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. John 7, verse 30, Then the leaders tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. And then one more, John 8, verse 20, Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury, but he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. This morning, as we're talking about following the Holy Spirit and kind of all the other themes that the Lord's already been speaking through worship and through ministry times, uh, I want to focus in on the timing of God. It was really interesting how many times John, when he's writing his gospel, he points out the Lord's time. And, and Jesus was super aware of it that he would, he would even tell people, my time has not yet come. And so I think it's important, just as Jesus was aware of his time, we need to be very aware of, of the Lord's timing. Jesus was aware of how God wanted to do things, and he was aware of the timing that God wanted to do them in. So it's not just enough to know what we should do, but we also need to know when we should do it, the right timing. There's a few other verses that I thought were interesting because mixed into what I've already shown you where his time had not yet come, we've got these, these few other passages. I'll, I'll run through them real quickly and, and just sort of take notes and reflect on these. John 6.15 says, When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. He had just fed a, a bunch of people. They were thrilled. They were like, oh, we want this guy to be our king. He gives us free stuff. And so a whole mob of them are about to force him to become their king. And he just disappears. So I'm thinking, I'm reading this now through the lens of Jesus' time hadn't come. That's not how he wanted to set up his kingdom, by being forced to be king. Even though he's king of kings and lord of lords, that's not the way or the timing that he wanted to do it. John 7, 43 says, So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. So again, there's this sort of, people are wanting to do something, but there's a divine time that hasn't been allowed yet, and so they weren't able to do what they wanted to do. 
John 8, 59, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. And at that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. So Jesus pulls this supernatural Houdini and disappears. You know, people are looking at him. They're furious. They bend down to pick up a rock, and when they look up again, he's gone. He's vanished because his, his timing hadn't come yet. And so we see this again and again that Jesus is doing these things or people are prevented from doing things. John ten thirty nine says, Once again, they tried to arrest him, but he got away and left them. I don't think it was a shoving match. I don't think it was his disciples jumped in and, you know, they drew swords. I don't think it was that dramatic. I think it was just supernatural that he's there and they're all like, oh, we need to arrest him. And then he just kind of disappears. But then in John 12, as we're moving sort of chronologically through this, Jesus replied in verse 23, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. And then within like a week or so, he's going to the cross. Like it's... It's incredible how aware he was of God's timing. It's not, it's not his timing. It's not his timing. It's not his timing. It's not his timing. And then all of a sudden, now it's his timing. And he, and he jumps into the thing that God had prepared for him. It would have been a good thing for Jesus to go to the cross at kind of any point. Like, you know, that's how we get salvation. That's a beautiful thing. But it was beautiful in the right timing. And so being aware of, of God's timing is, is so important. But not just aware, being yielded. We need to be yielded to God's timing. That it's, it's one thing for my kids to be aware of what I want them to do and to be aware of what would be obedient. It's a whole different thing if they're actually obedient. <laughs> you know, I think my, my girls know what I want most of the time, uh, but, but we're still working on like, oh, but you also have to do it. And so I think in the same way in our heart, like we, let's not stop at just, oh, well, I know what God's time is, but I think this is, you know, He'd probably appreciate it if I did it differently. I think we have to know God's time and then also be yielded to it. We have to be yielded to his timing. But let's jump back because the, the first one I started with, John 2, 4, dear woman, that's not our problem, replied. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. That whole story is really fascinating because he says it's not his time yet and then he goes ahead and does the thing that he said and he kind of implied that he wasn't going to do. And I, I want to spend some time looking at that. So in John 2, starting at verse 1, I'll read the story so you can kind of understand it. It says, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. He said, a host always serves the best wine first. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. Verse 11, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I think that story's kind of interesting because here you have a, a mom asks her son to do something. Her son is also God. And so he says, well, it's not really the time to do these miracles yet. 
And yet, in a, in a moment, something shifts because the next thing we see is the miracle happens. The, the water is turned into wine and the party goes on. And it's, it's interesting. What I think happened is this, in verse 11, this miraculous sign was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. He hadn't done anything up until now that would have revealed his glory. And I think what Mary did was she pulled on a future grace. In the future, there would be a grace for Jesus to perform signs and miracles and wonders and display the glory of the Lord. And it hadn't begun yet, but Mary knew that it would happen. And she was able to pull, even though it wasn't the time now, she was able to pull on time and pull in that future grace. Now, I know I just said that like, we need to be aware and we need to be yielded to God's timing, and I still fully support that. <laughs> but I want to I imagine that there are going to be situations in our life where God wants to do something, and his timing is not a, a day on the calendar. His timing is you know, in a, uh, a, a divine alignment. His, his timing is obedience. His timing is, okay, we're now in step with him. So his timing isn't uh, chronology or chronos like we think of, uh, a calendar or a clock. You know, he's not waiting until this afternoon because he's busy right now. He's waiting for a heart that's prepared. He's waiting for an obedience. He's waiting for a measure of faith. He's waiting for a few different things, and, and it's hard to sort of quantify all of them or, or to leave you with a checklist of like, okay, make sure you've got this and this and this and this. But I, I want to at least explore some of those themes this morning of ways that God has things in his heart, plans in his heart, prophetic words that he's spoken, intentions that he has, dreams and visions, things that all seem future-oriented. And... And it would be wrong of us to sit back on our hands and say, oh, well, that's for the future, thinking chronology, like, you know, it's for, for next year or it's for next month, and I can't do anything about that now. But instead to say, okay, God, you're not waiting for a day on the calendar. You're waiting for a people that are prepared. And then how do we become a people that are prepared? So we need to be aware of God's timing. You know, sometimes it's not just how you say it, but it's when you, when you say it, right? Uh, I, as a child, I learned that, like, okay, if I, if I ask my parents for something in the right timing, that's better than the wrong timing. And even as a spouse, if I say this response right now, it will not go well. But if I, if I say it at a different time, it might go better, right? So there's always this aware of God's timing, yielded to his timing, but so much of his timing is not a date on the calendar. It is a waiting for an alignment, and that's it, through faith and obedience and, and all these other things. So Mary pulled on this future grace. She knew what Jesus was going to do in the future, and she thought, okay, well, with faith and with obedience, we can pull that into right now. It makes me think of 2 Peter 3, verse 11. It says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. Other verses say, and, or other versions say, and hastening the day. We're speeding it up because God's not just, you know, determined the end of time as like a, a date on the calendar. He's determined it as, oh, when all of these things are fulfilled, then I will come and I'll do this. And so Peter is writing, he's saying, we have the opportunity through our living, through our obedience, through our faith, to grab hold of that and to pull it into now. To grab hold of that future grace when God is going to move and do something and to begin to, to hurry it along through how we live. And I think one of those big things that, that we do, one of these big things that this future grace is dependent on is our obedience. And when I think of this story of the, the water turning into the wine, it highlights it so well. Because here we have, we have Jesus, who's not necessarily a part of 
you know, the, um, he, he's not the wedding planner. He, he's not the, uh, the head chef. He's, he's not the uh, event coordinator. He's not the catering party. He's just attending it with his mom. But his mom comes over to him and says, hey, they've run out. And he says, well, it's not really our concern. It's not really our issue. He says, this isn't even my timing. And then she turns to the staff and she says, do whatever he says. Now, he's not in charge, but apparently, like, this mom, this woman of, of, uh, of power, spoke to some people and they said, yes, ma'am. And because and the next thing we see is they are listening intently for whatever Jesus says next. And it's interesting because I've put myself in these sort of situations. It's fun to do this. As you read through the word, put yourself into these stories. Don't just blast through them and be like, okay, great, cool. That happened back then. Good for them. But put yourself in these stories. Because what happens, and we'll look at this, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Mary says, give us more wine. And then he turns to the servants and he says, okay, go get bathtubs. And I'm thinking, man, if I was there, I'd be like, no, 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 I'm sorry, Jesus, you probably misheard. It's a party. They're singing and dancing. It's loud. Maybe, you know, you didn't hear. She's talking about wine. And he's like, yes, I need the servants. I need the staff. I need the, the caterers to go get some bathtubs and fill them with water. No, 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 Jesus, we're not talking about this. That's a different festivity. That's not the wedding. That has to do with ceremonial washing. That's a different time. Listen, we need uh, the, the wine bottles that they brought are all empty. Can you just fill them back up again? Like, and he says, yes, take the bathtubs and put water in them. And I just imagine, like, I would be so confused. And even in my prayers today, like, there are times where, you know, I'm not praying for more wine, but I'm praying for something. And I'm asking God for one thing, and he's saying, yes, go and do this. And I'm like, no, 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 God, I'm not praying about that. I'm praying about this thing. I'm not praying about the bathtubs. I'm praying about the wine, you know. And I'm not, I'm not praying about salvation. I'm praying about finances. Or I'm not praying about finances. I'm praying about salvation, you know. And, and I, it seems like sometimes God will, will tell us, and the key to the thing that we need is, is obedience, but it looks like something totally different, right? Mary is thinking wine, and I would be thinking the wineskins or the wine bottles or the wine jars. Whatever they came in, just fill them back up. They went down, put them back up. And he's saying, we're going to do this totally different than you're expecting. Go get some bathtubs. These ceremonial vases that hold 20 or 30 gallons that are used for washing, for bathing. Fill them up with water. And then scoop out some of that bath water and take it to the guy in charge of everything. Man, can you imagine being a caterer and you've just run out of something? And then someone's like, oh, that's okay. Uh, here's what we'll do. We'll get a shower, and we will take some of that, and we'll carry it over to this person. Like, as a caterer, you'd be like, I'm going to lose my job if I, if I take some bath water over to this guy and be like, hey, this is the new punch that we're going to serve. <laughs> They'd be like, no, 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 you're fired. Like, call someone else in. But these, these servants are obedient. These caterers, staff members, whoever, they take it, they scoop it out, take it, and he's thrilled. The MC is thrilled with it. He says, this is the best stuff. He says, normally you can save a few dollars if you serve the best wine first, and then after people have had some, you know, they're not tasting as well. And then you bring out the cheap stuff, and you can save some money. He says, you've saved the best for last. And I just think, God, I don't understand why you do it that way. But I think the, the faith of Mary and the obedience of those, of those individuals, it pulled this thing that would have, would have come later into the now. And I believe there are prophetic promises and destinies and, and ministries that, that with a little faith and a lot of obedience, we can pull those into today. We can begin to pull those in, into, a, into the now. 
but we need to be obedient to God's instruction. And obedience is neat because it is the result of faith. Like they work, they work hand in hand. If I am obedient, it's because I, I believe that this thing is going to happen. And if you aren't obedient, try asking God for more faith. You know, if there's something he's been asking you to do and you're missing it and you're like, ah, oh, I was supposed to do this and I didn't or I was supposed to pray for that person or I was supposed to do this thing or I was supposed to whatever and you're having a hard time doing it, ask God for more faith because the two are so divinely linked. When I believe that God exists and when I believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, then my behavior follows that. You know, but if I have doubts about who God is, or if I have doubts about his existence, or I have doubts about what he says will happen to people who obey him, then I'm, I'm less inclined to obey him. If I don't believe that there's going to be a real reward for my effort, then it's like, well, why put in the effort? And if I don't believe that he's really noticing everything I do, then why be obedient? And if I don't believe these things, so you can see how they're, they're so interconnected, faith and obedience together. But I think belief is, is one of these interesting, interesting things. It's not just a, a light switch of on and off. I believe or I don't believe. It's, it's really more of a spectrum. And, and, and in the end of this John 2 passage where we're seeing the wedding feast, it says this. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Right? So they believed. This is early in his ministry. It's the first big miracle he does. Uh, first time his glory is revealed and his disciples believe. That's great. Now we hurry up, you know, nearly three years later, his disciples have been with him. They've seen healings. They've seen signs. They've seen wonders. They've seen miraculous provision. They've seen all sorts of incredible things. And every time they're like, oh, it's Jesus. This isn't just coincidence. Like we are following this guy all around. They've been through persecution. They've been through people saying mean things about them. They've been run out of towns. Like all of these things have happened and they're still like, they're committed and they're invested. They're like, yeah, we believe this guy. But in John 11, we see Jesus say something interesting. John 11, verse 14, it says, So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, Lazarus had died. Originally, he was sick. And they're like, Jesus, come heal him. And he's like, oh, we'll come later. And then Lazarus dies. And everyone's like, oof, Jesus really should have gone then. But then uh, he tells his disciples, he says, hey, Lazarus is asleep. Let's go wake him up. And they're like, well, if he's napping, like, he'll just wake up later. It's fine. And he's like, no, Lazarus is dead. But here's what's really interesting, verse 15. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Man, in, in John 2, they believed. In John 11, some almost three years later, now they will really believe. I would have thought they would have really believed when Jesus walked on water. I would have thought they really believed when he did the multiplying of the loaves and fish. I thought they would have really believed when he healed every sick person in a whole town. I thought they would have really believed all these other times. They've been with him for three years. But he's still, in John 11, he's still helping their belief. And I think that's where, certainly where I'm at, but I think as a, as a church family, we all believe with a measure, but there is an even greater measure. We all have faith with a measure, but there is an even greater measure. And in John 3, it's talking about Jesus, and it says that um, the Lord has given him the spirit without limit, or in some translations, the spirit without measure. And I think just in the same way that faith and obedience are linked, I think faith and the Holy Spirit are really linked. 
I think that it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that helps us to believe. He is our helper, and I believe he helps us to believe. And so in this same way that Jesus was given the Spirit without measure or without limit, I think each of us have been given a measure of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think that it's because God is stingy. I don't think it's because there's only a little bit of Holy Spirit and God's got to ration it out. You know, oh, so we got to, okay, you get this much because we got to make sure there's enough to go around. A lot of people on the earth, you know, got to portion it out. I don't think that's it at all. In fact, Jesus teaching about this, he says, how many of you fathers, if your kids are hungry, you're going to give them a stone instead of bread? Or if they ask for an egg, you're going to give them a snake? He says, no. But if you sinful fathers, if you evil fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more would your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so, okay, clearly there's plenty of Holy Spirit and and God wants to pour him out. And so the question really falls on our side of the equation of like, oh, God, am I hungry for Holy Spirit? Like, am I asking for more? Or am I content with my measure? Am I content with my level of belief? Am I okay with my level of faith? Or am I hungry for more? Am I stirring myself up to say, okay, God, I I know that there is more that you have for me. I I want to have the more. I want to lean in to to receive all that you have for me. I want to pull on that future grace, and I want to ask for more. So we have Holy Spirit with a measure, but, but maybe we could ask for a greater measure. We have faith and belief in a measure, but maybe we could grow that to a greater measure. And in the same way that Jesus is helping his disciples, he says, no, 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 I delayed so that now you would really believe. Maybe there are some situations in our life where it feels like we're losing something, but really God is saying, no, 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 I just, I want to help you really believe. Maybe there's this divine delay in some things because our reaching for a future thing and pulling it into today is actually growing our faith. And, and maybe this is the taking the training wheels off the bicycle where we're like, God, I don't know, like this feels hard. And he's like, oh, but you're going to have so much more fun after this. You know, riding a bike with training wheels is okay, but riding it without training wheels is way better. But it, for us, we're like, I don't know, God, this seems scary. And I don't, this, I don't like it. Like, what if I fall down? What if it hurts me? Oh, but he is faithful. And so I believe this belief is significant. I mean, there's another person who pulled on a future grace. And this story is neat too. It's in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 tells the story of a faith of a Gentile woman. So there's, there's Jews and there was Gentiles. And the Jewish people were, according to the Old Testament, the, the people who had covenantal relationship with God. And the Gentiles were just everyone else. It was all the people who didn't fall into that category. And in Matthew 15, starting in verse 21, it says, Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman, so this is outside of the family of God in Old Testament, Old Covenant. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. And then his disciples urged him to send her away. They complained, Tell her to go away. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. And Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from their children and throw it to the dogs. But she replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. 
This is an uncomfortable passage sometimes because Jesus isn't being like normal, kind, smiling Jesus. This is like he's ignoring someone and she's begging so much that the disciples are uncomfortable with it. And they're like, Jesus, you have got to send her away. Oh, but she had faith. And so what sometimes we, we gloss over because we live so far removed from, from this time. When Jesus walked, it was such a pivotal time because the whole world was transitioning from one covenant to another covenant. And this is some sort of like incredible divine timing to move from, from an old covenant where your relationship with God was based on either how good you performed or what kind of sacrifice you offered to a new covenant where now our relationship with God, our right standing with God is, is placed in Jesus and in what he did. And then we get to walk out in righteousness based on, on the righteousness he gave to us. So a totally different way of relating to God. And she's right there in this crossover, in this like in-between moment. And because Jesus came first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, because the gospel and the salvation message was first to the people of God in covenant with him, and then they rejected it, we get to get take part of it. Because that's the case, she was pulling on a future grace. Now, in the future, as a Gentile, she would have opportunity for healing and salvation and freedom and deliverance. But in this old covenant, coming out of this old covenant paradigm, she didn't have access to that yet. But she calls him son of David, which is a messianic title for Jesus. It's, I see you as the Messiah who's going to bring salvation. And so she, with her faith, is reaching forward and pulling something that she didn't have access to yet, but she was pulling it in. Man, isn't that beautiful? We have these same opportunities. There are prophetic words. There are promises. Um, there are... There are dreams and visions and destinies that God has for us. God has for us individually. God has for our families. God has for our congregation. God has for our region and for our state. And we have the opportunity not to passively, you know, sit back and say, oh, well, that's for the future, you know, so uh, it'll come when it comes, you know, and it'll happen when it happens, and we'll just wait on God. We have, we have rather an active participation to say, okay, God, what needs to come into alignment for this thing to happen? And then we begin with our faith to pull on that. And we begin with our obedience to align to that. And we say, okay, all right, here, we're going to come into alignment here. And we're going to believe here. And we're going to pray here. And we're going to contend here. And all of those things begin to work together and pulls on that future grace. And that thing that would have happened in the future now gets to happen much, much sooner. So we need to be faithful to God's word. It's yielded, it's obedience, it's faithful, and it's all these things tying together to have an impact on, on a future thing. Now, all of this is fun. It was neat for me to put it together because I was like, oh, and it's this story, and it's this verse, and it's these things, and they're tying together. But knowledge for knowledge's sake is, is sort of lame. If we just get this, and, and now we've got another lesson in our pocket, and we say, oh, well, that was good, it sort of falls flat. There's got to be some application to this. And so what I want to propose is there are, there are things that as a congregation we need to begin to pull on. And, and the rock is, is neat. We are uniquely positioned to have a, a very prophetic culture. Um, we, we give words and we receive words. And if you haven't been here for long, you know, hold your breath because you'll get one soon. Um, and that's beautiful. That's really, man, to... To be in a congregation and to be in a people where it's this active and the Lord's moving and speaking that much is, is really special. We have in our staff, we have like a whole binder with, I don't know, 50 some odd pages 
of, of either words that were transcribed or words that were sent in or words that were given, and, and, and we flip through them. And sometimes when we have special meetings where we're, you know, working on something big, we bring this binder. And as the conversation unfolds and as we pray through it and discuss it and brainstorm it and, and ask God, what is he doing? It'll remind us of, oh, that, that sounds like what, you know, this person said. And we'll flip open the binder and, and we'll pull out the word and we'll read it and we'll pray into it and be like, yeah, that's exactly what he said here. And it's a thing that, that was given in the past for the future. And, and by praying through it and aligning and being faithful and all these different things that we just kind of looked at, we're beginning to, to pull those things in. But there are moments where, where it doesn't make sense. There are moments where it looks kind of foolish. There are moments where it feels silly uh, in the natural, in, in human reasoning. But oh, by the Spirit, we've got this faith that says God is going to do it. And so, um, yeah, so I, I want to I talk about some of those. It's a little overwhelming because, again, 50 pages, like, where do you even start? Like, how would I just, you know, page one, and I'm just going to, you know, read them to you guys? That would take a long time. So we're not going to do that, but I, I want to get into some of those. But I, I want to just divert for a second and, and talk about belief. When I talk about we believe these things, and some of them even sound silly in the natural, like, well, why would you do that? Like, you know, it doesn't seem necessary, or we don't need that, or it sounds expensive. When I talk about belief, and I talked about it being a spectrum that the disciples believed, but then they really believed. There's, there's this level of belief that I'm trying to get to. And, and, and I hope you can relate as I, as I talk about it with this story. Um, imagine that you've, you've met an Olympic archer, you know, someone who shoots the arrows at the bullseyes. And they tell you, oh, you know, I competed at an Olympic level. I'm pretty good at, at archery. And you're like, wow, that's awesome. And they say, I can hit a, a bullseye at 25 yards, 100 times out of 100 times, I would believe them because they're an Olympic archer. And that makes sense. Like, this is all you do and you're really good at it. Of course you can hit the bullseye. But if they said, um, you know, uh, hold, hold up the bullseye next to your head and, and let me shoot the arrow at it and, and I'll hit the bullseye and I won't hit, hit you in the face, I would say, I don't want to do that. <laughs> right? There is a level of trust with obedience where, where I have to, sorry, there's a level of trust with belief where I have to, I have to trust you, you know? So it's one thing to say, I believe you can hit the bullseye and I'll stand behind you and you shoot the arrow that way. And it's another thing to say, yeah, I believe you can hit the bullseye, shoot the arrow this way. I'll hold it with my hand and it won't hit my arm or my, my body or my chest. Or, um, cause we're talking about shooting like a, a bulletproof vest. You tell me it's bulletproof. I believe you. You tell me put it on and I'll shoot you and let's test it. I say, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that. That sounds, that sounds foolish. There are going to be some things that we have got to get this level of, of faith that produces belief, that produces trust, where when God says something, we're like, okay, yeah, I'll put on, I'll put on the vest. You shoot it. And I, I trust it. It'll be good. You know, when Jesus says, or Holy Spirit is, is coaching us and tells us to step out in something, you know, it's just a different level of belief when, when we say, yes, God heals, you know. So, you know, yes, he will heal someone. And then it's a different level to say, okay, I will put my hand on them and I will lead the prayer, you know. Or it's, a, it's different to, to hear a testimony about someone getting healed and be like, yes, I believe that can happen. It's different to stop someone in a store and be like, oh, you're wearing a cast. You don't have to wear that cast or that sling anymore. God can heal you. It's it's a different level. It's not just, oh, I believe, and so now everything in my life is filled with faith. It is this walking out every day. It is this journey of understanding how to, 
how to walk in faith and walk in belief in God. And so I'm, I'm still, you know, I make little victories now and then, and I'm, I'm thrilled with that, and we celebrate that. But, oh, there's still a greater measure. Just we were t- like we were talking about the spirit without limit and the spirit without measure, our faith without measure. I still have a, I have a larger measure now than I used to, but, oh, I want to get to where I have it without measure, where I have it limitlessly, where I have it, all these things. And, and I know that's your heart, and, I, and so I, I share this just as an encouragement to you of, like, hey, don't, don't become satisfied with what you have be hungry for more. Don't become satisfied with what you've seen God do. Be hungry for more. And so it's a stirring up your appetite. Okay, so we've got these, we've got these prophetic words. At a macro level, a big zoomed out view, we know that Jesus said he's going to come again. And when Second Peter, that passage where we can hasten the day or we can hurry it along, it was talking about kind of the end of the world and the Lord coming and restoring everything and and and, you know, eternity reigning and ruling with him and that. So at a very zoomed out, every Christian can pull on that future day, right? But as we zoom in a little bit more, our, our state has some prophetic words about it. Prophets have been through Colorado, itinerant people and people who live here have declared that, like, oh, God wants to move in Colorado. He, he wants to move all over the world, but there is something special about Colorado that he wants to use it to turn uh, the tide in, in all of America. And so there's been prophetic words about Colorado. And so we get to pull on those with our alignment and, and the things that The Rock does and the way that we partner with other ministries and partner with other churches and, and care about the region. Like we are pulling on, on that future grace, on that future word. In, in the front range, you know, there have been dreams about you know, five major cities in Colorado that are going to uh, uh, be set ablaze with revival. And so it's like, okay, all right. I could sit back and I could say, God, you're going to do it in your perfect timing. You're sovereign. Go for it. Or I could engage him and I could say, but what could I do to hurry it along? And so we, we roll up our sleeves and we say, okay, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to pray you know, at the Capitol and we're going to uh, bless our leadership and we're going to invest in ministries that are doing awesome things. And, you know, and so we begin to like do this work of faith and of believing and of listening and of obeying and, and, we, and we invest there. Moving down closer, we know that Douglas County and Castle Rock all through COVID was this sort of like land of Goshen, which is a reference to like the Exodus story where all the plagues are hitting, hitting Egypt, but there was this one little pocket where God's people lived and they were relatively fine. Like the plagues didn't hit them. And so it just felt like as we talked to people in other regions of Colorado, we were like, yeah, Casa Rock seems fine. Like, oh yeah, well, like, I don't have to wear this as much as other places or I don't have to go and do things as strangely as other places. And there was just this like unique covering, but we know that there's so much more, that it wasn't just a COVID thing, that God has a, a blessing on Castle Rock and on Douglas County. And, and to establish us here and to call us here, not all of you grew up in Castle Rock. The Lord brought you here from faraway places, and he did it for a purpose. And we could sit back and we could disengage and we can say, well, God will do with Castle Rock whatever he wants to do, or we can roll up our sleeves and we can participate in it. And we can say, okay, God, what is it you want to do? How do I be a part of it? What is the alignment you're waiting on? Because he's not, again, he's not waiting on a time on the calendar. He is waiting for an alignment. He's waiting for some, some repositioning, whether it's internally in our hearts, whether it's with the people of God as a, as a large group, or whether it's with, with individuals who just need to, you know, make a change or make an adjustment. It's probably all of them at some level, but we get to be a part of this. 
Then, so that's Castle Rock and Douglas County. In our church, we've got some beautiful prophetic words about uh, sustainable communities and uh, neighborhoods and uh, building and worship and prayer centers and, and these things that we want to build that right now you look around and you think, well, I don't know that we, I don't know how we would accomplish that. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know where we would go for that. I don't, I don't know, you know, if that's really our position. And it would be easy to disengage because in the natural, it does not make sense. But this is part of that belief and obedience of like, okay, but God, you said it. And I'm not going to just wait for it to happen. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to be a part of it. So what needs to happen? And we lean into the Lord instead of, instead of leaning back. Especially sometimes our hearts get sick with disappointment. You know, when we've been waiting for something for so long, it's easy to disengage and say, okay, well, I guess God's not going to do that. Or I haven't seen it when we were waiting on God, but all the while he was waiting on us, right? And so, and so we don't want to be that generation in the wilderness that uh, the Israelites back in Exodus, they're wandering for 40 years because they didn't have a faith to trust God to provide for them. They didn't have an obedience to go into the land when Moses said go in. And so we don't want to be that generation that, our, that the next generation has to come in and fight the battles that we were supposed to fight because we were disengaged, because we were waiting on God to do something when he was waiting on us. And so, and so there's a lot... In here, I pulled out a few things, but we really could only touch some of them. But there are, there are just, there's so many, whole binders and books and, you know, we've got it cataloged. And I'm so thankful. Pastor Sylvia, our children's pastor, she, she really helps us. We, we call her our scribe because she makes sure that, she makes sure that words get transcribed, that we have copies of them, that we carry them with us, that we bring them into important meetings. And so the, the favor that rests on this church and the blessing that rests on this church, it's, it's because we are choosing to actively engage in things that like the, the dinner in Cana, the, the wedding, the miracle that Jesus performs, we're doing some things that don't make sense. We're over here filling up bathtubs when, when we're, we're looking over there at empty wine bottles and we don't really understand it, but we believe God's called us to it. We, we've heard his voice and we say, okay, we're going to do this thing. It feels uncomfortable. MC is going to look at us and, and wonder why we're over here when we should be serving tables and we're filling up bathtubs. But man, like this is, obedience to him is the, is the highest thing we can do. And so uh, I, I want to encourage you. That's, you know, we're working down the big macro level, our church. We've got a lot of words. I'm sure there are words that you're carrying. I'm sure there are words that are on your family. I'm sure there are destinies that you have. Uh, even even roles that you're supposed to play within the church. Like God has birthed ministries inside of you and called you to things and, and you're not fully stepped into it yet because you keep thinking, oh, well, I'm, I've got to wait for that door to open. And the whole time, like Jesus is speaking to you this morning saying, I need you to open that door with your faith and your alignment and your obedience and your, your listening. And, and don't disengage from that. I want you to, to lean into that and say, okay, yes, this thing is, is on my family. This thing is on my life. This destiny, this calling, this prophetic word. And, I, and it's time for me to, to pull on that future grace and to bring it into now. So we, I want you to do that, one, because you'll be walking in the fullness of your calling. That's beautiful. But two, also because that, that makes our body function well. A, a body with one strong calf and a bunch of other weak muscles is pretty ridiculous. 
A body with one strong arm and no legs to carry it is, is pretty useless. We need all of us working together in, in the fullness of our callings, in a, in a full measure, not a partial measure or a little measure. We need all of us working together and stirring each other up in these ways so that we can be everything that God called us to be, so that we can do everything that God has purposed us to do, so that we can unlock and see all the intentions of his heart fulfilled in our generation and in our city and in our community and in our, our spheres of influence, our lives, our, fa- our families, our homes, our workplaces, all those things. So I need, I need you to get this as much as, as, much as we're, we're trying to get it, you know, and we're not perfectly there yet, but oh, we're making strides. And so come and make strides with us. Amen? Okay. All right. I think that's good for today. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to pray. Father God, give us bulletproof vest level faith. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being so so available, for being so kind and gracious towards us. Lord, when our faith is, is weak, oh, you, you don't get upset and, and throw us out. You say, that's all right, let's try, let's try, try again. Jesus, you were so kind with your disciples. Three years of walking with you and seeing so many things and, and they still blew it. We get to the end, you've, you've died, you've risen, and, and Thomas is there in the upper room, and he's saying, I, I can't believe it. I, I can't believe it. I saw all these things, but surely he can't do this. And then in your goodness, you show up and you say, Thomas, touch, touch my hand. Here, put your, put your hand in my side. Feel the scars. You were helping him to believe. You weren't judging him, saying, all right, well, you're out. Go join Judas. You were saying, no, 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 I will help you believe. Jesus, this morning, our prayer is help us believe. Help us to have faith that believes and faith that trusts and faith that produces obedience. When we're praying for the wine, and this is metaphorically, when we're praying for the wine and you say, okay, go fill the bathtubs, that we don't say, no, 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 Lord, you don't understand. But instead we say, yes, sir. And we go and we do it. God, help us put inside of us fresh faith this morning. Stir us up to action. Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we wouldn't disengage and, and become disenchanted or embittered because we're waiting on something to happen that feels like it's never going to happen, but instead we'd become active participants, that we would roll up our sleeves and with prayer and with worship and with intercession and fasting, Lord, that we would lean in and we would say, no, 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 this is a future grace, but I'm going to pull it into today. This is a word for my future, but I'm going to make it happen tomorrow. This is a word over my city, but I'm not going to wait 50 years. I'm going to make it happen this decade. Lord, we pray that as we've already seen this divine acceleration, Lord, we pray that it would continue. Lord, we've already seen incredible favor and grace on our congregation and on our church. Lord, we pray that it would continue. And Lord, these prophetic words that we're stewarding as a house and as individuals and as a state, Lord, we pray that you would breathe on them. Lord, that where we've been waiting for you and you've been waiting for us, Lord, we we commit this morning to take steps. We commit this morning to take real steps with real faith and real obedience to say, God, I will position myself in alignment with everything that you want me to do 
Everything you want me to say, everything you want me to be, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be obedient to a greater measure. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.